Hi, welcome to the Full Plate Podcast. I'm Rachel Gable. I'm an ag journalist, author, and cattle producer from Northeastern Colorado, and I'm bringing you the stories of those who keep our plates filled. I'm Rachel Gable, and today my guest is Trent Luce. Uh, Trent is a rancher and uh, out of Nebraska and also has his own radio show and, and among other things, uh, appeared in the movie that is streaming on Netflix right now called Stand at Paxton County. Trent, thank you so much for being with me today. You never thought you would have introduced me as an actor, huh? I know, it's great. I had to Google you on IMDB or whatever that website is yesterday just so that I could see it come up. You need to send them your, your headshot because it's missing on the website. Uh, don't you think it's more interesting than just a mysterious little question mark? What does that really look like? No. No, I think we need the headshot complete with that hat that you wore. Yeah. I've seen that hat in person, and I've seen it in in photos many times. It's a, it's a. You know uh, the story behind that hat, right? No, you need to tell me the story behind that hat. I got married in that hat twenty seven years ago. Did you really? And it's been through a lot, a lot of cow kickings. It got run over by a pickup once. I was wearing the hat when I got run over by a pickup. I just rolled out of the way just in time before my father-in-law smashed that thing. And then the final bit of character that I got is when Libby went to Texas A&M, somehow I inherited a chinchilla. And who would guess that chinchillas like the beaver because now the front part of it is chewed off from a varmint eating, giving it more character. So it's quite the hat. And, um, I was the only one in the movie, by the way, wearing my own clothes. I, I wondered about that. I was trying to, to look and see what your vest said, and I couldn't quite make it out. It looked like farm credit or something. I couldn't see. No, actually, it was not farm credit. It was uh, North American Pulse Growers. The North Dakota Pulse, Pulse Growers have had me speak a couple of times. And it's funny you would mention that because I had to get special permission to wear that vest. There was another logo on that vest that they took off because they could not do it without permission. I'll be darned. And so the, the whole, in fact, the wardrobe person contacted me about a month or two months before filming to ask me about where to get the proper attire and clothing for this movie. So but that was quite interesting. That was quite interesting. There, For the most part, I thought that it was pretty spot on. I, I spoke last year to, um, gosh, my brain is failing me. Uh, Trent over at uh, Greeley Hat Works, and he did all mm -hmm. of the hats for Yellowstone for that show. Oh, okay. And I, I was just dying. I'm like, did you do Jimmy's original hat? <laughs> and his his answer was not entirely politically correct, but it was the one I was expecting. So he did not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I've not seen Yellowstone. I'm afraid to watch one, knowing that I probably would just get pulled in, you know. You will, and but you will I be will, annoyed. I will say that while we were filming the stand of packs in County, Chris McFarland, who plays the sheriff in the stand of packs in County, he said, why aren't you on Yellowstone? You look more, I think, than anybody else over there. I'm like, you haven't called. Cuffner hasn't called. <laughs> so maybe Cole Hauser and all those guys will call you now. 
Maybe. Maybe. About it. I mean, it could happen. I'm, I'm not aspiring to be an actor, but um, if the opportunity presented itself to be a part of something that tells a story that has largely been untold from rural America, I would entertain it. And that's why I was proud and honored to be a part of the stand at Paxton County, because I was involved in this atrocity. And I call it atrocity on purpose from day one with Gary Dossinger and his family. Absolutely. Well, tell me a little, tell everybody a little bit about how this came about and, and what what it's based on, because it, it is an atrocity. It was, it's hard to watch. It's inspired by a true story, and all of the Hollywood friends that I've now developed remind me to say that. that it's not a true story, it's inspired by a true story. The most common question I've had since I've been on Netflix for 10 days is, how much of that is true? I'm going to estimate about 80% of that actually did happen. Uh, I was uh, sitting in my pickup after church waiting on Kelly and the girls to come out, and I got a phone call from North Dakota. And this guy called me and said, Charlie, you up to speed on what they're doing to my neighbor here in Stark County, North Dakota? I said, no, I heard rumblings, but I don't really know what's going on. He said, well, you need to dig into it because they're trying to make an example of him. And so I did dig into it, and I found out that the sheriff was a local veterinarian who had an axe to grind against Gary Dossinger for an old issue. Um, we're trying to make an example of him as an animal abuser, and we've seen this day after day. I get calls practically every day with somebody who's been arrested or labeled an animal abuser based upon misinformation. So I started digging more into this, and I, I never did actually talk to Gary because um, I wanted to get the story from everybody else. I talked to the third-party veterinarian, which was played very well in the movie, uh, and I knew what had happened because this lady who's been a veterinarian for 30 years in North Dakota, she walked me through from A to Z, and I knew that he was being made an example of. And then Protect the Harvest, Craig mm -hmm. Curry, yep. started working on this together. Protect the Harvest is uh, funded and, and started in the vision of Forrest Lucas, Forrest Lucas has forest films, and so over a period of time, it just developed into, well, we need to tell this story via theater and movies, and uh, so we did do that, and it's out now on Netflix. We were going to release it, I don't know if you remember, in January during the Black Hill Stock Show, we did have a private screening mm -hmm. on January 31st, I believe, during the stock show, that 300 people came to the theater, and, and Gary and his daughter, Missy, were both with us there. We had a tremendous question and answer session afterwards, and uh, we were going to have a theatrical release, but I don't know if you've noticed, you're not ready until there's been somewhat of a disruption to normal life in the U.S. since January 31st. You know, I work in media, so it's it's, it's come in my inbox a few times, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Darn inboxes. Oh, no one wants my inbox right now. Whew. Yeah. Well, well, I know the story, but... Yeah, so it's, it's been fun that I've had people contacting me that I haven't communicated with for 30 years, and most of them in disbelief that they actually see me on their television screen from a Netflix movie. But the whole process has been very interesting, and I, I think we're doing a good job getting the word out about what challenges people, animal owners in particular, are dealing with on a regular basis. I agree. If you've, if you've not seen The Stand at Paxton County, there's it's basically a, a neighbor who has maybe an axe to grind with with someone and and they can 
turn them in for animal abuse and the investigation itself is is not um <laughs> is not very well done and there's some some corruption in there and it's it's like a, a worst case scenario but it's it's based on you know the, the inspired by the true story so it's it absolutely could could happen i was thinking about this you know we're in morgan county in northeastern colorado and we have more neighbors daily it seems like and uh, lots of them who do not enjoy when we grind hay and and do things like that you know things that we've been doing for many many years before they put their their modular in but it's it, it's it sheds a lot of light on what could happen no doubt where where was the film you know, actually rachel i want to just add to that because the first time i heard about this insanity was probably 16 years ago i was speaking for colorado association of conservation districts in denver and when I finished speaking, several people came up and shared particular stories that along the lines of what we're talking about and what's brought to light with this band at Paxton County. And the one that, that stuck with me and just really always sticks with me is this gentleman said he was on the western slope, cab had a heifer, happened to be close to the road. He had his calving chains, he's pulling the heifer, pulling the calf from the heifer, doing what we all do, what I did yesterday. And... Uh, all of a sudden, Deputy Sheriff pulls up, siren blaring, lights on, draws his weapon, gets out, and passes this rancher to get away from that animal. Well, there had been a report that there was um, some kind of suspicious activity taking place on highway such and such, and this deputy was so ignorant that when he arrived watching a, a rancher pull a calf, he drew his weapon and asked him to get away from the animal. And, and that sounds absurd, but it falls into what Gary ultimately became the victim of, which is the open field doctrine. And I learned more about this with John Bowen, who I bring on Rural Route Radio once a month, who 20, 21 years was with the U.S. Marshals. You know, we think about you need a search warrant to come in and search property, but the open field doctrine says that if somebody sees something in an open field, they can report that, and without a search warrant or due process, you can be uh, searched, for lack of a better term. And, you know, the open fields doctrine just really doesn't get enough attention. It, it, it puts all of us subject to prey, is what it amounts to. No, absolutely. I visited with Scott Dutcher uh, last week. He started sure. this AgNav Consultants. Have you visited with him? I, I know Scott. I've known him for a long time, back when he was a bureaucrat. <laughs> right. He's he's got a, this consulting firm now, and and he assists law enforcement in investigating um, charges of animal abuse to make sure that it is legitimate. And you know, I was thinking to myself as I was watching the state of Paxton County yesterday, last night, that boy, if uh, if somebody like that had been in there and could have stepped in and said these these charges are not legitimate, these this is this is untrue. This is this is crooked. Then it could have perhaps turned out differently, but certainly uh, it, it's interesting. And when I saw that Scott was doing that, I thought, what a what a mess that we <laughs> that there's a need for this sort of thing of law enforcement being trained to recognize what is a legitimate uh, animal rights violation. That's it's quite a quite a thing. Tell me a little bit about uh, 
where did this film and I'm dying to know if you had the chance to to advocate for ag while you were on the set and because I'm guessing that the other cast members were not terribly um, savvy. Savvy about agriculture. Right. <laughs> right. I should have finished uh, that sentence. I'm sorry. So, yeah, you're spot on. And that for me was a tremendous opportunity that I had the opportunity to visit with other cast members and in many cases just completely have a different thought process about food production and farming and technology that I have and you have and we have. Uh, I do have to tell you that Michael O'Neill, who plays the lead character, Dale Conley, in this particular show, was the first person that I met. And we have become really good friends. And uh, Michael lives in Birmingham, Alabama. He's currently filming not right now, thanks to that virus we spoke of, but he's currently filming uh, Council of Dad. He's been in Hollywood for 30 years. And there, there's been a lot of things where he would just pick up the phone and call me about certain issues, and he's got a daughter that's now um, San Luis Obispo at Cal Poly studying organic chemistry and has a tremendous interest in organic farming. And, you know, all of our questions and, and discussions have evolved around that particular aspect and so yes to answer your question there was a tremendous opportunity to enter discussions with people that have a completely different thought process than i do when it comes to food production on the other side of that i found all of them wanting to get the real information because they only know what they hear right so the ones i had conversation with when i would share the real story of somebody that gets their hands dirty every day producing food like, why haven't I heard any of this? And they well, that's what we're working on, to make sure that this information gets made to the public. But, again, I just can't emphasize how much I, that's what I really enjoyed most about this particular experience, is that it gave me, and, and by the way, those discussions did not end when we finished filming. There's many people that I continue to have discussions with periodically throughout the course of time. In fact, I mentioned Michael O'Neill last week on Monday. Landry and I were delivering pigs to uh, Georgia, and we called Michael, and we had lunch for an hour and a half, and we were talking about the movie being out on Netflix and things like that, but it's about relationships, and I was able to foster some relationships with folks that you would have never thought I'd be able to talk to, and it's been fantastic. Oh, yeah. What, what a cool opportunity. That was one of the first things I thought of. I was I was kind of picturing movie sets as, you know, having the the catering trailer in the back with lots of organic, natural, humanely raised and vegan choices at the request of cast members. And I was feeling like maybe that wasn't the case when you guys were filming Stand at Paxton County. So that was the case. Um, the, the food options were absolutely unbelievable on the set of filming. Um, they would cook you uh, a ribeye or any type of meat item you want, but along with that, there was every vegan option you have never heard of. And so it was anything, all things to everybody. It wasn't just one choice or another. And the, the assessment from the day, I spent three days, by the way, on the set. It was filming for just short of three weeks. I was there three days. Uh, it was about a 50-50 split on dietary choices. That's interesting that there would be some some vegan folks. I think 
it seems like they would maybe not choose that movie to be a part of. I do have to give a shout out to Forrest Films and, and Forrest Lucas and the, and the entire team and Ali Afshar, who is executive producer. You know, the mission of Forrest Films and the people that are involved in this is to educate people about what is happening and about the challenges that farmers have. And that's why I was excited to be a part of it. And I don't know if you saw the very first movie that Forrest Films produced. It was about the dog lover, again, based on a true story. Dan Christensen and um, Hurley, South Dakota, who had 70 hunting dogs taken from him by the same animal rights organization that we're talking about here. And so the people who are a part of this, they have to recognize that this is kind of the mission of Forrest Films. And Forrest Films has carved out its own little niche in Hollywood, you know, having a, their own office at the Warner Brothers studio and rubbing shoulders with everybody there. But yet people who are a part of Forrest Films know that we've got a mission. This is not just about making movies. It's about educating people. That makes me want to shout hallelujah from the rooftops. I bet that takes a lot of makes, a lot of guts to, to do that in Hollywood. It does because, you know, the first Hollywood person that I ever interacted with was Carl Weathers. And if you remember, Carl Weathers was Apollo Creed. He was a happy Gilmore. But he was also a limousine breeder. And back, I think he's gotten out of the limousine business now, but he, he was hands-on. I mean, he knew uh, the cattle business. And I did a thing in 2002 in Hollywood, and so I went to breakfast with Carl while I was there, and I told him I wanted to do something that's almost identical to what Forrest Films was doing. And Carl Weathers told me, Trent, as entrenched as I am in Hollywood today, and he's still active producing, directing, and doing different things, and I haven't talked to Carl for a while, he said, if I attempted to do what you're talking about, I would be blackballed out of Hollywood. Wow. So I, I share that by saying, Kudos, major kudos to LASR and Forrest Lucas and everybody at Forrest Films for taking a stand and saying, we're going to do this. And, and quite frankly, the way that they blackball you out is they eliminate your funding. Fortunately, Forrest Lucas has dedicated an amount of money, like he did with Protect the Harvest, to Forrest Films to be a part of telling the story. And people just need to know how that all, has all come about. That's incredible. I'm I'm looking forward to see what the next project is. There's lots of good stories that aren't being told that need to be. Yeah, that that's absolutely a true story. And I have to also, while we're giving kudos, and hopefully you can find David O'Neill, the writer. Um, he's not an ag guy. He's been in investments, and he's been in Hollywood for a while and lives in San Francisco now. But he captured the essence of what this story was really about. He had a little Hollywood license and incorporated that. But uh, I was on several calls with him as he was writing that, just kind of shaping what the, the facts were around how this all developed. And I think he just did a fantastic job capturing the, the, the real story and bringing to light the challenges that we have. And I talked to him this week, and I told him, I said, it, it just came across perfectly. Mm -hmm. I agree. I thought it was interesting where he went with the journalist. So I, as soon as I put the pieces together that uh, there were some things that were maybe being left out on of some articles that the journalist in the, in the movie had written, I thought, oh, man, this is going to play right into what everybody hates about journalists. But uh, I was... I and was, instead, you were proud the journalist 
saved the day. I don't know that he saved the day. I think it was, <laughs> he was there and on the day. <laughs> but I, I was just glad that he, that that's what journalists are supposed to do. You know, right. my, one of my good friends in Texas uh, told me that, you know, my job is to stand in the gap. And I thought, boy, that's a, it's kind of a cool way to think about it. It's true. That truly is. Yeah. Uh, Tana Tomlinson, by the way, is another example of somebody I've maintained communication with. He was Josh probably in the uh, the movie, The Journalist You Speak Of. Uh, in January, actually, I had a little video discussion that's still available on YouTube with Tanner about acting and what he learned and what it means to be a part of the Forest Films crew. And he's just another example of those that I've been able to meet that come from me. By the way, the a native of Oklahoma, graduate of Oklahoma State, so he's not completely foreign to <laughs> rural issues. But like so many, just, he lives in Hollywood today, and it's where he came from instead of what he does every day. Right. What What was your takeaway from being involved in it? What'd you learn? Um, I learned that uh, as much as we... We, and I've been a part of this as myself. We bashed those individuals in Hollywood who are constantly speaking out against us. I learned that they, they only know what they know. They don't know what they don't know. And, you know, my kind of my little personal slogan here is that we're complaining about what it is that they're saying, then what are we going to do to expose them to the, to, to the truth? And I think in so many ways, that's exactly what we've created the opportunity with here is to have a different audience and talk to some people and have great communication with people who we previously have not communicated with and then complain about what they don't know. Oh, you've kind of described my, my day-to-day um, job. <laughs> I think that's the biggest frustration for me in agriculture is that we preach to the choir. Yeah, true story. And I like yeah. our choir. They're a cool choir. But the choir's nice. The choir just needs to sing louder and more often. That's the moral of the story. Yeah. Yeah, it's been interesting. I, I feel like this, you know, this little virus thing that we talked about, boy, that's really I was hoping that it would really bring to the to the, you know, center stage of how important the the food supply is and that it's rather fragile, even though it's huge. And I'm not sure that that's what's being communicated, but it's part of the story. I, I, think, that, I think that's up to us to drive that communication. And if we let status quo be status quo, and we're not involved in making sure that people understand that food production is a means of national security, when this is all finished, it'll be our fault, not the consumer's fault. So I, I put that responsibility directly on our own shoulders. I agree. I agree. Well, I, I encourage everybody to watch Stand at Paxton County, and I and I think that that's one of these things that you need to have this in the back of your mind with, especially in Colorado, you know, we see a lot of legislation come through courtesy of our first gentleman who is a animal rights activist and vegan, and uh, a lot of it is terrible legislation, and there is a lot left up to interpretation. It is not black and white, and it has the potential to be disastrous. And it may feel like, oh, it's not that big a deal. It's just dogs and cats. But it's it's the first step. And, and I don't mean to sound like an alarmist. And I don't mean to sound like a conspiracy theorist. But 
the animal rights folks are patient, they're well-funded, and they're willing to take small bites out of, out of freedoms and out of uh, the control that producers have over their own operations. And, and I think that the stand of Paxton County really illustrates how uh, bad legislation can really become a nightmare. Yeah, and I just want to close by reminding people that we can watch it and enjoy it, or we can uh, contribute to the viralness, the word of the day. But we need everybody, not just the choir, so to speak, to be watching this movie. And the more exposure we get, the more better discussions that we will have. So I close with that by saying thank you, Rachel, for continuing that discussion and encouraging people not only to watch it, but be advocates for what's actually taking place. Absolutely. In a bad way in Colorado, but all across the country. Absolutely. Well said, sir. Well, I appreciate you joining me today. Uh, my guest Thank today you. was Trent Luce, movie star, radio host, hog producer, the great state of Nebraska. Thanks for joining me on this episode of the Full Plate Podcast. You can find me on Facebook, either at the Full Plate Podcast or at Rachel Wrights. You can also find me at rachelgable.com. And there, if you enter the code FULLPLATE, you can get free shipping on my first kid's book, Kindergarten Rancher. Thanks for tuning in.